Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together and talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a B-movie star. And I am seeing iPhone albums. Oh, do I check something? (laughs) Welcome to episode 223, In Your House 11, Buried Buried Alive. Alive. Dead Man's Paradise, also known as... Dead or Alive. Also known as... Death. Death. Darkness, Darkness and, and the Destruction, destruction of Mankind. Also known as Too Many Taglines. Yeah, I mean, how many... Like, the third one's the best one, and it's, like, probably even maybe a little too long. Mm-hmm. But hey, this is a pretty big show, so... Yeah. Maybe, maybe they had three different posters. <laughs> I don't know, I didn't do poster research. Is it a triple main event? No. It is definitely not that. It's definitely not a triple main event. <laughs> main event that... So this is the 11th rendition of In Your House, produced by the WWF. It would take place on October 20th, 1996, from the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana, with an attendance of 9,649 people. A little less than the last house, but... A smaller, probably a smaller wrestling fan base. Oh yeah. Indianapolis. Philly. Philly's probably got a higher population. I mean, they got at least 1,200 extra people just hanging from the rafters. Absolutely. <laughs> and they all bought a ticket. But we are in Indiana. Yes, we are. Shane, did you do what you do? Well, I'm not going to sing the song this week, but yes, I did do what I do. Yep, we are in Indiana, in Indianapolis, and... I know we've been there once before, and I brought something similar to this, but not quite this. I think the first time, I don't remember if I brought the sandwich or if I actually just brought schnitzel the first time. But as this culinary adventure started, it was all about finding sandwiches from the area that we're watching the shows in, and the official state sandwich of Indiana is the fried pork tenderloin sandwich. Typically, it's just a pork tenderloin that gets flattened out to where it's the size of a platter and then they put this teeny tiny bun on it to make it just that much more ridiculous looking to where it's just this blanket of pork with this teeny tiny piece of bread on it. I went a different route, got the uh, schnitzel sandwich from a place in Oklahoma City known as Fassler Hall. It's a, uh, a pub house featuring German food, lots of good German beers and other beers in general. There's a couple locations. There's one here in Oklahoma City. There's one in Tulsa as well. But their schnitzel sandwich typically comes on a marble rye bread with a little bit of German mustard and some smoked Gouda cheese. I had them add a little bit of lettuce and tomato to it just to give it more of that sandwich feel because why not? You got to have your veggies if you're having fried meats. Yeah. All the food groups are represented. We got the bread. We got tomatoes on here, so that counts as a fruit. We got lettuce. We got dairy. And we got meat. So, woo! But yeah, schnitzel sandwich. Fassler has great beer selection. They've got house-made sausages there as well. They've got a good brunch. Just a great spot to go to. 
the one in Oklahoma City is a little fancier looking compared to the one in Tulsa. The one in Tulsa looks like a, an old like garage that they've turned into a bar, a little dive bar, yeah. and then started selling food in it. I prefer the one in Tulsa to the one in Oklahoma City. I like the vibe of the one in Tulsa. Better, yeah. The the Oklahoma City one I like big. just because of the outdoor seating is huge. Yeah, it's one of those things if you go on a, like a late night on the weekend, the one in Oklahoma City, it's like so many people, it's so loud. Yep. You're like yelling at people to have a conversation. So I'm not a big bar guy in the first place, but I'd like to be able to have a conversation at one. Yep. But part of what I do as I do what I do is take a bite in front of a microphone. So it's not going to make any crunching noises, but I'm going to take a bite anyway because that's what I do. So I'll make some wet sounds for the listeners. I heard a crunch. Oh, that was the look. tearing of the of the muscle. Pretty much. <laughs> that was a big ass bite too. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. I feel like I need some German potato salad or something like that to go with it. It's always a good choice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Bachelor Hall. If you're ever in Oklahoma, check them out. Absolutely. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as Buried Alive. The final episode of Ren and Stimpy would air the same day. Whoa. I mean, huge Ren and Stimpy fan here. As a child, I basically only watched Nickelodeon for the most part. And the show was the right amount of crude uh, for me at the age, to the point where my mom didn't like the show. Uh, My dad thought it was funny and probably picked up a lot of the things that I didn't. uh, And is far as it being crude it is but it's not too crude because there was a point in time a few years later where i think it was called spike at the time i don't know if that's still a channel but it was basically this channel's for men and uh they brought back ren and stimpy but it was too crude and it so it just took away the charm of it it wasn't good anymore like it was coded as them being like a gay couple essentially, but in which on the Nickelodeon show, but in the Spike relaunch, it was like explicit and it like took away the charm of it and just it felt like it was like gross for the sake of being gross or like crude for the sake of being crude. Whereas the other show had a lot of uh, personality and had that 90s gross out close ups with the detailed images. It was. You know, like I, said, I was a super fan, but I have not revisited, so I don't know how it holds up. I'm sure the animation's still good, because I like John Kay's style. But I don't know how you felt about Ren and Stimpy. I mean, I enjoyed... I, I first saw Ren and Stimpy when it premiered on MTV before it made the move over to Nickelodeon, and it was... Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was just an animated short that they had on MTV, so it was... Is it Liquid Television? I can't remember if it was part of Liquid Television or not, or yeah. if it was just one of those like animation Joe's yeah. apartment type thing where yeah. they just had you know a quick little snippet of something in a commercial break. I have, um, a, I have a bootleg of all of Liquid Television, <laughs> but I have not gotten through all of it. Yeah, Ren and Stimpy. It was like you said. It was it was crude. It was something different than I mean. Everybody, The Simpsons had been out for you know close to a decade by then and you know when the simpsons first started it was kids can't watch this it's too offensive yeah and simpsons became part of just everyday life and it wasn't but simpsons wasn't as gross no i mean when it started off they they were you know they were crass they were crude they they weren't as 
far drawn as you know South Park or you know Ren and Stimpy when it first started off, where it was just more of shock value, and a lot of it had to do with the animations on it because, yeah. as you said, they they went for that gritty spit and slime and yeah. you know it's almost like body horror <laughs> but then i swear ren and stimpy is what inspired like spongebob because yeah they do the close-ups too yeah there's there's several things in spongebob that remind me of ren and stimpy. and they get bizarre and surreal i mean ren and stimpy also kind of felt like an old school cartoon in the same way where they would do weird episodes where it's just like oh what if we did one about animals in the outback but they all look like ren or stimpy or they would do like a weird sci-fi episode or they even did one where like there's a wrestling episode and the wrestler is obviously like killer kowalski so it's like it's very it's extremely varied and more varied than like you know rugrats very intelligent for children and adults and a lot of the jokes go over the head of uh children but it's still like ren and stimpy they could throw into like any situation you do a space episode you can do one where they're like just door-to-door salesmen there's it's very extremely varied it's just throwing the characters into situations where rugrats more grounded in reality even though it's talking babies they still and then they just have ones where you know they'd go and eat little treats out of the litter box or you know you'd see funky toenails yeah it, it made it different than than the other shows that were out there and then South Park came along soon after that and just, like, here, hold my beer. Let me show you how to fuck everything up. Yeah, yeah. Not really fuck everything up, but, but it was more let me show you how to make it fucked up. Yeah, and it was more, obviously, for adults. Yes. Uh, but Ren and Stimpy rode the line really well. Yeah, because, I mean, it was one of the first ones where, you know, Simpsons, they, they had the whole eat my shorts, and, you know, they'd say things like that on there where Ren and Stimpy came along, and it was just straight up on... You idiot! Yeah, you idiot. Um, I mean, they also did co- comics. I remember my cousin had a bunch of the comics. My dad would find them because he would shop for baseball cards. He would collect them for her. They're probably worth nothing. But now I'm wondering but, if I ever saw the last episode of Ren and Stimpy. I don't think that they probably made a big deal of it because it wasn't a show like that where like it needed any kind of closure. It was pretty open-ended. But I don't know. I'm a fan, and I've not done... A rewatch, but it's definitely extremely memorable. Every now and then, I'll just break out into you know happy, happy, joy, joy, just for the hell of it. Yeah, log. It's big. It's heavy. It's wood. It's log. <laughs> it's log. It's better than bad. It's good. I mean, log. I kind of forgot about that actually. Uh, charming show. I mean, it's on Paramount Plus. If uh, I mean, not all the episodes, because some of them are still considered too controversial. Really, even for Paramount. <laughs> the people that gave like the South Park guys like nine hundred million. The people who gave us shit. Friday the Thirteenth are offended by <laughs> Ren and Stimpy now. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but you know, I should I should give it a a shot. I mean, there's some like I go back and rewatch Pete and Pete like moderately regularly. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, and it was a Nickelodeon show. But you know, it's got it's got supposedly a there's another revival heart. series that's. Supposed to be coming out as well. Oh, really? Uh, Ren and Stimpy or Pete and Pete? Uh, Ren and Stimpy. Oh, don't don't bring back Pete and Pete. Maybe it's just like one Pete carrying around mm-hmm. the other Pete's ashes or something. No, thank you. Which is the, you know, <laughs> Leave I'm, it alone. It's perfect. The one I'm like 40 years old. No, no, not at all. Li- living, like, living their lives. Carly's doing it. Why not? No, it was Pete. And Pete was perfect. <laughs> you should leave it alone. If anything, I'll just watch Snow Day because that was originally a Pete and Pete 
movie that they rewrote because Pete and Pete had been canceled by the time they got it made. Really? Yes. That's interesting. And if, if you watch it, you can tell that it's got that a little bit of the voice, and you can kind of plug in the characters and get a good idea of what it would have been. Huh. Well, that will definitely change uh, my point of view the next time I watch Snow Day. Yeah, which may never happen. True. <laughs> but, yeah. but hey, you know, maybe after you finish watching season three of Pete and Pete, you're like, I guess I'll top this off with Snow Day, the icing on the cake. It happens. Yeah. Well, let's talk some wrestling. Let's do it. We get the WWF logo before some spooky music hits. And we see a tombstone cross with Undertaker giving narration that his whole existence is death, darkness, and the destruction of mankind. Almost sounds like they gave him the name Mankind just for this angle, which probably isn't true, because wasn't he supposed to be called, like, Chainsaw, like, McMurder or something? What was his... It was something dumb. It was yes. really dumb, yeah. He wasn't going to be Chainsaw Charlie originally. No, no, no. no okay. No. I, I probably went to Chainsaw because of Terry Funk, but it was something really, really silly. I mean, if whatever Austin's names were, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Or the, what was Fang the... Fang McFreeze or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't, I don't know why I can't remember the main comment. Or Goldust, they wanted to, like, Stargate came out, they're like, what if we make him, like, a Pharaoh thing? Have <laughs> you seen the drawing? The drawing's awesome, but it would be silly. It would be... Very, it would not have worked at all. Not for 20-something years like Old Dust is. No. <laughs> or was it Chili Mason McFreeze? the Mutilator. Mason the Mutilator. That's it. Really? Awful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Mankind. Yep, for being, you know, an intelligent <laughs> human being. Who fully responds that he has visions of the dead man begging for mercy and seeing soul filling Taker's lungs. And both men threatened to bury the other alive, with the Undertaker sentencing mankind to eternal damnation. Brought to you by Sony's PlayStation. Vince McMahon then welcomes us to the show, and he's joined by Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross. And Jerry says he wouldn't want to be involved in our main event, but he can't wait to see it. While JR complains that he doesn't have a mic, so Vince gives him his, but as soon as he starts speaking, the music hits for... Our first match, Hunter Hearst Helmsley with a young lady versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. And would you believe it? The song has arrived. Break the glass, boys. Yep. Kids, meet the future of wrestling for the next decade right here. I mean, I uh, put on my Jim Johnson shirt for a reason. So while Triple H is walking to the ring, Kevin Kelly interviews Stone Cold in the back, asking him about his game plan for his new opponent, because he was originally supposed to face Savio Vega. Good lord. But he's out with an injury. Thank God. I mean, no, obviously I don't want Savio Vega to be hurt, but I don't need to see Savio and Austin again. Because yeah, they would, probably would have had another Caribbean strap match. Not two, pay, not two <laughs> pay-per-views in a row. And Austin says nothing has changed. He has a list, and everyone is on it. But he does give credit to Hunter for stepping into the ring with him, before accusing Savio of faking his injury. Stone Cold then turns his attention to Bret Hart, saying he hopes that when he comes out the next night on Raw, it's to announce his retirement. Otherwise, he's going to make him do so. Austin then has words for all the people who didn't appreciate his colorful language. They can kiss his ass, which is punctuated 
by the sound of breaking glass. And during this entire match and first few matches, Ross's mic just keeps cutting in and out due to technical difficulties. I mean, uh, Shane, kudos for that that wonderful nickname gimmick. I tried. You succeeded. <laughs> and there's more to that story, which we'll talk about here soon. But both men work the crowd for heat before they lock up to trade takedowns, slaps and holds, until Stone Cold gets the advantage. So Triple H rolls out to regroup. And Austin starts working Hunter's arm with holds and knee drops until his eyes are raked, allowing Triple H to deliver chops and a hard whip to the corner. But he charges into a big boot, followed by Stone Cold nailing a clothesline for a two-count. So is this technically a heel-versus-heel match? Yes. I mean, how often do you see it? Austin goes back to the arm, but Hunter escapes with a knee to the gut and starts pummeling Stone Cold in a corner, followed by a back body drop. Triple H continues with a snap suplex and a knee drop for a near fall before hitting a back suplex for a two count. And Hunter starts wearing down Austin with a chin lock and a sleeper, which is reversed by both men several times, only for Stone Cold to escape with a jawbreaker, followed by a stun gun across the top rope and a second rope elbow drop for a near fall. Triple H fires back with a leaping knee and a second rope fist drop for a two count before they both hit clotheslines at the same time for the double KO. And Mr. Perfect makes his way out to ringside to steal Hunter's valet (laughs) while the two competitors have rolled out to the floor to brawl. And Austin lets Perfect know what he thinks about him before attempting to return to the ring, only for Mr. Perfect to pull him off the apron, which causes Stone Cold to grab a drink and throw it into Perfect's face. Evil. I, would you say fully formed at this point? Uh, Sam kiss my ass. The music's there. He comes out in the leather jacket with the skull on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we get middle fingers at some point here. He doesn't so. quite have the walk yet, but you know. Oh yeah, the BMF walk happens over time. The knee braces aren't quite there <laughs> yeah. yet. <laughs> His legs aren't aren't bowed enough for that uh, stride. Austin returns to the ring to get knocked down by Triple H as Mr. Perfect leaves to the back, with Hunter going for the pedigree. But Hunter then notices his lady friend leaving with Perfect, so he makes his way out to the floor. But Stone Cold uses the distraction to nail Triple H from behind and go for a suplex, only for Hunter to reverse into one of his own onto the concrete. Oof. Damn. And Triple H makes it back to his feet first and goes for the pedigree on the floor. But Austin counters with a double leg takedown before delivering a catapult into the ring post. Posted. They make it back into the ring where Stone Cold goes for a running knee, but Hunter moves, causing Austin to bounce off the ropes, flip off the crowd, and Triple H before nailing a stunner for the pin and, and the, the win. win. There he is. He, he has risen. Yes. <laughs> so a little background on a couple of the storylines that we see taking place during this match. Um, in the weeks before leading up to the show... Mr. Perfect had been coming to ringside and stealing Hunter's valets, usually costing him the match as well. So a match had been set for them to face each other the next night on Raw, which would have also been Mr. Perfect's first match in several years. Yeah. The other storyline was Jim Ross, 
as you know his mic just keeps cutting in and out as he's and he's getting very fed up. But he had turned heel the night after Mind Games, telling the story of being fired after his Bell's palsy attack, claiming that Vince had tried to ruin his life. Wait, so he had Bell's palsy. The Bell's Poly in like the early in like ninety three ninety four. Oh, see, that's I, when he got fired. Oh, yeah. See, I had no idea. I remember the one from like the Prime Attitude era. Like, yeah, he had. He's one of the rare cases where he had a second attack. attack okay. Yeah. It. See, I had no clue about the first one. Huh. Yeah, yeah. He he had lost a little bit of his feeling in his face, but yeah, it wasn't as egregious. It wasn't as yeah. It it wasn't like the full on hang down like yeah. like it became. But yeah. Huh. Didn't yeah. I had no idea. That's crazy. JR would say the reason that so many wrestlers had left the company was because of him, as he did it for revenge on McMahon. But he did bring back Razor Ramon and Diesel. Uh, poor JR, he's getting fired again by this. Like, he does a good job of like being angry, but the Razor and Diesel thing, bringing him back? That's not. Wait, where did he get him? The Home Depot parking lot? <laughs> So Vince sends us to a video package, and we get a recap of the Smoking Guns and Sunny Saga, where Billy was smitten with her, while Sunny helped them win the gold. And Billy's feelings would come between the guns as he was more worried about her well-being than his brothers, costing them their titles and their manager. We then go to Doc Hendricks interviewing the guns and asking Billy if he can refocus without Sunny around. He just wants her back, man. He responds that Sonny will return when he defeats Owen and Bulldog. Let me reiterate that when he defeats Owen and Bulldog, with Bart chiming in that it's we, not me, before saying to just forget about Sonny and focus on the gold. Big brains on Bart there. Mm hmm. Horrible delivery. Yeah. Big brains. <laughs> so we go to our second match the smoking guns. Versus the British Bulldog and Owen Hart with Clarence Mason for the WWF Tag Team Championships. And JR immediately turns on that heel juice by calling Sonny overrated. We know Vince McMahon can't handle that. <laughs> also, we might notice Clarence Mason is with our Tag Team Champions. So if you remember from Mind Games, Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette signed a little piece of paper in the back. Well, that was to transfer... Managership to Clarence Mason. Of course it was. Yeah. I mean, it did feel it did feel slightly nefarious, but they didn't point it out in any strong way. Sneaky little worm. Boyer. More like a liar. So Owen and Billy exchange holds and takeovers until Gunn can hit a clothesline and head up top for a double axe handle. But Hart catches him in the gut on his way down. The champs then hit a double clothesline, followed by a drop toe hold leg drop combo. To take control. Nice stuff. Davy Boy charges into a corner, only for Billy to move, which dazes him, allowing Bart to deliver a clothesline from the apron as the ref is being distracted by Billy. And we see Sonny watching the match on the TV in the back as the guns hit a double back elbow. Bulldog with some shoulder blocks, and Bart answers with a power slam and heads up top, only to miss a flying crossbody. Davy Boy follows up with a crossbody of his own for a two count before Owen flies in with a drop kick for a near fall. And the champs start working over Bart with a double team clothesline, whipping him around from corner to corner before Gunn can escape a headlock, 
only to run into Billy as he is out of the corner, taunting Bulldog. And the guns argue for a moment, allowing Hart to roll up Bart from behind for a two count. I'll let John. But the guns recover as Owen is tossed to the ropes, where Billy nails him with a forearm from the apron. And the guns nail a double Russian leg sweep for a near fall, before Billy hits an elbow drop and a neck breaker. Bart comes back with a swinging neck breaker of his own for a two count. He keeps cutting off Hart's tag attempts, before the guns can deliver a corner splash with Billy leaping off Bart's back. They then attempt a sidewinder, but Billy struggles on the ropes, allowing Davy Boy to sneak in to pull Bart away at the last second. Owen uses the opening to nail a spinning heel kick on Billy for the pin and the win. I mean, other than Davy Boy kind of getting there a little too early to pull him away. Yeah. I thought this was a pretty fun match. Yeah, for sure. It's you know, super solid. Then I'm going to keep grabbing yeah. at your belt. <laughs> I did like like the Owen coming in without a tag. It's like, oh, well, the ref didn't see it, so like, why bother? Like, doing a little bit of cheating, and it's one of those things, too. So I guess the guns are tweeners? Because... I mean, they're heels. And, yeah, but, like, so are the... I mean... Yeah. So we've now had two batches of... Heel versus heel. Yeah, but there's like different, dy- there's slightly different dynamics. Like, bet- like they're not just like both full on heels. So it doesn't feel completely wrong, but it is weird yeah. for WWF for sure. Weird for wrestling in general. Well, fun fact for you, you don't have to worry about it too much any longer because this was the Guns' last pay per view match <gasps> as a team. Wow. Thanks for coming, and it was a good match. Like I said last time, they're a good team. Yeah. But unfortunately, the focus ended up being Sunny. Yep. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I mean, even during the match, the focus was Sunny. Yeah. yeah. And Sunny's in the back here. Even after they lose, she's still the focus. She's clapping yeah. as she's happy that they lost. Winking at the camera, old King, because he wanted her to wink at him. Um, I do love uh, Jerry Lawler uh, has a dig on Bart that he says he's been on so many blind dates, he should get a dog. What a cornball. I love him. Vince sends us to the Superstar line, where we see Triple H and Ray Rougeau on the phones. Ray Rougeau? While we can hear Mr. Perfect, but they never show him. Like, literally the entire time you can hear Mr. Perfect talking. They never... Maybe they're trying to get over the fact that his mic works and and Jim Ross's doesn't. And McMahon says that it looks like they've gotten JR's headset fixed. When they cut to the announcers, only for Ross to have grabbed a mic and entered the ring. Oh my god. And JR is complaining to the crowd, saying that Vince's butt kissers keep turning off his microphone so he can't be heard on television. And literally he said that, and I was just like, no one in this arena cares because they can't hear you either. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I mean, but JR is doing a pretty good job of being like, not full here, heel, but like angry with a purpose. So I remember a little when it was going on back in the day, and that was one of the weirdest things was a heel JR, just accepting that, wrapping my mind around it, because it just, while he did a good job during it, it just didn't seem it felt, right. It's yeah, like, it felt, it's felt wrong. It's a steamboat effect. Yeah, it's like done well, but it's it feels wrong, but he also has like a good reason, mm-hmm. so it's 
believable. It just, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like somebody put mustard on your ice cream. You're like, what are we doing here? He he reached that, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. He's um, channeling the uh, Austin vibes. Ross continues by promising that Bret Hart will be on Raw the next night. Because he went to South Africa, not McMahon. Also claiming that the hitman is coming with a shovel to bury people. JR calls Vince egotistical, saying he speaks out both sides of his mouth, so he needs two microphones, followed by tossing the mic at McMahon, which Vince misses, but gives himself credit with, nice catch, Vince. (laughs) Ross then walks to the back. Vince McMahon, totally unfazed, just has a shit-eating grin on his face. McMahon then starts talking about Farouk and Ahmed Johnson, saying Ahmed is not cleared to wrestle but he's in the building before airing clips from the free-for-all where we see the gladiator in an interview claiming he will do anything to get the job done before Johnson says he didn't even know Farouk, but he attacked him and cost him the title. So Ahmed will get his revenge, but he doesn't know when or where. But he did know when or where, as it was later in the pre-show. <laughs> Johnson would attack the gladiator, wielding a two-by-four. Oh with officials convincing Ahmed to back away. And we go back to the arena, and Mr. Perfect's music hits, and we see him and Jim Ross come out of the entranceway, having a conversation, before Perfect walks down to the commentary booth to join. So we're still going to have a three-man booth for our next match. And coincidentally, his headset works perfectly. Oh my gosh. Doesn't Perfect call out Austin? He may, on he may on commentary at some point. Okay, I feel like yeah, right after this he calls him out and I'm like... Because he threw the drink in his face. Yeah, it's like, I want to I want to see that. Why wouldn't you want to see that? I got excited when Mr. Perfect's music played because I was like, oh, are we going to get him in the ring? No such luck. No. So we go to our third match. Goldust with Marlena versus Wildman Mark Marrow with Sable for the WWF Intercontinental title. I know, it's crazy that Goldust has already had the title twice. Mm-hmm. And this was supposed to be Farouk instead of Goldust. But obviously he got waylaid by Ahmed, so the Golden One gets a title shot instead. I, I'm not mad. Mm-mm. As Goldust makes his entrance, Lawler asks the wild man, who's in the back answering these questions, about the change in opponent. And Mero just responds with words that even subtitles couldn't figure out. <laughs> and the match is going as the wild man goes on the offensive with takedowns and holds, only for the golden one to answer with chops and right hands before spitting on Mero, which fires him up for a head scissors and a back body drop. The wild man continues with a clothesline to send gold dust out to the floor, following out with a somersault plancha before rolling the golden one in and nailing a slingshot leg drop for a two count. Marrow's whip is reversed, but he catches Goldust charging into the corner with a back elbow before going up to the top where the Golden One recovers to deliver a powerbomb. Goldust then tosses the wild man out to the floor and slams his head into the steel steps before making it back into the ring to wear Marrow down with clotheslines and chin locks. And perfect heel ended up here to Vince. Now he's just talking shit on Sable. He says... Marlena makes Sable look like a B-movie star. Talks about, I think Sable got lip injection. Cutting off Wildman's rallies each time. 
and the crowd starts chanting for the wild man. So the golden one takes the mic to threaten to kiss everyone if they don't shut up, which allows Marrow to recover to hit a back suplex and a moonsault for an air fall. I do love, I mean, they're chanting for Marrow, and they gave him the fireworks. It means something when they give people fireworks. It means they want people to cheer for him, and they're doing it. And then, of course, Goldust is going to kiss everybody. We can't have that. Goldust reverses a whip, sending the wild man hard into a corner before setting up for the curtain call. But Marrow counters it into a rolling prawn hold for a two count. And wild man starts running the ropes, only for the golden one to back body drop him over to the floor with Goldust following out to continue the attack. I love those, like, nerdy fans that are just in the front, and they're just having a blast fucking with Goldust. Mr. Perfect leaves the booth to help Meryl make it back into the ring, when Triple H would walk out to ringside, staring down Perfect. And the Golden One even looks to attack Mr. Perfect from behind, but he turns in time to land a punch before returning his attention to Hunter with officials forcing them to the back. Back in the ring, Wild Man nails the Samoan drop and the Wild Thing for the pin and, and the, the win. win, just as Perfect makes it back to the booth. Sable enters to celebrate with Mark Merrow. That's a big, a, a solid a solid win for uh, the Wild Man. So a little more info on Mr. Perfect and his storyline. Like I said earlier, Triple H and him were supposed to have a match the next night on Raw, but Hunter would attack Perfect in the opening moments of Raw, causing Mr. Perfect to announce he wouldn't be able to wrestle. So he got Marrow to face Hunter with the belt on the line instead. Oh my gosh. And during the match, the Perfect plan would be completed, as Mr. Perfect would turn on the Wild Man, costing him the title. Damn. Thanks for coming, Marrow. Perfect would then manage Triple H for a few weeks but eventually would head south, meaning this is the last time we will see him in the WWF until 2002. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Jinx. The, uh, but they just gave Marrow the, yeah, what a subversion. It's like, oh, feels like they're pushing him, and then, well, they didn't. I mean, he lost to a heel in heel fashion, but mm-hmm. it takes the wind out of the sails. I mean, technically he lost the two heels, because... Yeah. It was the the perfect plan. But, uh, this this could be... It's kind of a bummer, because I knew I didn't feel like Perfect was going to go on a run here, but I was excited to see him interacting outside of the table, and I was like, yes, yes. But I was like, I, but I don't think it's going to amount to anything, and now I know. And it amounts to some things, but not what I'd like. Vincent sends us to the AOL room, where Jim Ross is there with Razor, Ramon, and Diesel. That's mm. two quote. employees typing what they're saying. No, it's Razor, Ramon, and Diesel. Yeah. It's not the... Yeah, I went from... Now we're at AOL instead of CompuServe. That's WCW. Oh, oops. We then get a recap of Vader and Psycho Sid with Kevin Kelly narration. Asking, who is the master of the powerbomb? Sid has the height advantage, but the Mastodon has the power. Footage of both men performing the move is shown, with Cornette complaining about Psycho Sid stealing the move and calling Vader the irresistible force. 
Shawn Michaels is then interviewed about their power bombs, saying that they're equally effective as both men have knocked him out with theirs. <laughs> but we then go to our fourth match. Psycho Sid versus Vader with Jim Cornette in a number one contenders match for the WWF Championship. I had to look this one up. Jim Cornette says he's going to go through you like X-Lax through a window woman. Through a window woman? Yeah, which I think is kind of like the not-so-nice thing of calling somebody a... Uh, what is the mean joke about ugly women? The Putting a bag on their head or whatever. A butterface. Like, a, a window woman, I think, is like a butterface. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't want anybody to know that we had relations. So she leaves through the window. But it's like X-Lax through a window woman. It's like X-Lax uh, okay. through anybody. It doesn't really matter who you give it to. It's going to have the same result. So I don't know why window woman. But I was like, the fuck is a window woman? And I got to point out, Sid, when he made his entrance, something about the way the lights was hitting him, that was the most superstar I've ever seen Sid look ever. He's been on a glow up recently. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for it. So the Heartbreak Kid comes out to join the commentary booth, shaking hands with Sid followed by taunting the Mastodon and blowing his nose with Corny's handkerchief. And Vader looks to attack Michaels, but he ducks and rolls out of the ring, sending the Mastodon into Psycho Sid, who just stares down Vader. Sid continues with massive forearms and a leg drop for a two count, followed with mounted punches and tries for a body slam, but he's blocked, allowing the Mastodon to answer with stiff right hands, a short arm clothesline, and a corner splash. Psycho Sid rolls out to regroup, but Cornette comes over to hit him with his racket as Vader distracts the ref. And Sid attempts to climb back in the ring, but the Mastodon cuts him off on the apron, only for Psycho Sid to hit Vader in the gut, followed by a sunset flip, which the Mastodon stays up and butt drops down. Vader continues with more short arm clotheslines until Sid counters with a back suplex, a big boot, and a top rope crossbody. But the Mastodon catches him for a power slam. Two big guys in a match doesn't always work. This is working. I mean, Sid went for a crossbody. Yep. <laughs> like, where, where did that move come from? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Also, who can lift Vader with such ease? It's like somebody sat him down and said, look at this big dick dude right here doing him a dick salt. We need <laughs> if, you to at least do a crossbody. I mean, yeah, if Sid did a fucking moonsault, I, I, might, I might have a stroke. Yeah. We'll, we'll let him stick with the, the crossbodies, because mm-hmm. years down the road, we're going to see that it doesn't take much to fuck old Sid up. Yeah, he may be big, but he has <laughs> bones of glass. Yes. Vader keeps up the attack with a running splash for a near fall, followed by a second rope splash. Makes the cover, but he picks up Psycho Sid from the pin. Corny tells him to go for the Vader bomb, only for Sid to get his knees up and fire up with a clothesline and a body slam. And Psycho Sid sets up for the power bomb, when Cornette would start to make his way into the ring, only for Sid to shake the ropes, causing Corny to be crotched. Don't you love to see a you know, manager get hit in the nuts? This would allow the Mastodon to recover, but Sid uses another big boot to set up for the power bomb again only for Vader to go low to escape. And I love that this has me, the powerbomb's gotta be the finish. It's the battle of the powerbomb. 
So if the crowd's popping on it, I'm popping on it. You know, we're waiting for it. The Mastodon tries for a powerbomb of his own, but he's unable to lift Psycho Sid. So he goes back to the stiff right hands, tries for a clothesline, only for Sid to duck and grab a choke slam for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post-match, Sean says he cheered for Psycho Sid, but now he has to take him down before entering the ring to speak with Sid. And they talk for a moment before shaking hands, followed by Psycho Sid posing with fireworks. I mean, I love the subversion of the match concept. So, so nice. Because it's like, oh, everybody's waiting for the powerbomb because that's got to be the finish. So he hits the choke slam, and I don't think it's going to be the end. And it was. You see, I was waiting. Once Sean got in the ring, I thought, now we're getting a powerbomb. Yeah. That would have been a, a fun button, but... Sid and Sean's it's Survivor Series, but they're also going to have a match at Survivor Series, yeah. so you know. I mean, we've got heel versus heel on this show. Why not have face versus face on the next one? <laughs> We're getting wild out here in these streets. <laughs> the wild the, streets of Indianapolis. Eyes, oh. <laughs> Vincent sends us to a commercial for Survivor Series. New York, the city that never sleeps, as we see traffic in the crowds of Madison Square Garden. Bret Hart's putting his gear on, and the Hall of Fame banquet will happen the same weekend. Weird. We come back to Dr. <laughs> Hendricks in the back, and he's excited about that event. When McMahon interrupts him to give the phone number to get your tickets. I guess I didn't realize that the Hall of Fame started off, or at one point was near the Survivor Series. Hmm. Brought to you by Karate Fighters. <laughs> you guys ever have that? No. no, I was too old. Like the toy thing? <coughs> he does the kicks? Mm-hmm. I remember the commercials for him. Yeah, but... I remember getting my, me and my friend, it was like a rainy day, and we bought it, and I kept playing him, but mine was like defective. Like the button on mine went into you, so I just like lost every time. I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Doc then welcomes Sid for an interview, only for Jim Ross to interrupt, saying he doesn't want Hendrix to ask Psycho Sid any softball questions. I see what you did there, Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Ross brings up Sid's past with the Heartbreak Kid before asking if he will power bomb and break Sean's back to win the title. Psycho Sid yells his answer: "I will do anything I have to, um, but my destiny and make my conquer to prove I'm the ruler of the world." It's. So it sucks so bad because he just had such a great performance and you can see the disappointment of himself on his face when he stumbles. And it's like, he did a great job after that match of like just selling with his face as a, as a baby face. And then here he just fucking stumbles it and the, I, my heart went out to him in that moment. Vincent sends us to a recap of Undertaker and Mankind where we get highlights of Foley's various attacks on the dead man including locking him in a casket and beating it with a pole, followed by Taker's retaliation and Paul Bearer's betrayal. The Undertaker then speaks about the demise of mankind. Don't forget the Druids. While Foley says he has no shame in what he's done, that it's about time someone did it to the dead man, with both men promising to bury the other alive. They say unsanctioned match in first unsanctioned match in WWF. Is that true? That's what they've said. Yeah. Maybe WWF, maybe not WWWF. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I mean, these guys, they weren't super, super Gimmick common. matches weren't really a thing back in the day, so. Yeah. 
It just like seemed cage like... matches were about the most gimmick thing that they really did back then. Those and strap matches, I guess. Yeah, as opposed, I mean, yeah, unless you were doing like Memphis stuff, probably it was a little different. But I don't know for sure. But in that ter- in that territory, you know, it wasn't. They were they weren't uh, the Skywalkers. <laughs> they weren't doing Sky they Skywalker matches. Scaffold matches. So we go to our fifth match, Mankind with Paul Bearer versus The Undertaker in a Buried Alive match. Unsanctioned. So the only way to win is to dump your opponent into the grave that's set up near the entrance and and cover them in dirt. Cover them in dirt. It's pretty impressive looking. It's a whole bunch of dirt. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fucking dirt. It looks like real dirt, too. It's pretty real dirt. (laughs) So as soon as the dead man's in the ring, the brawl is on, throwing each other around the ring. Foley's knocked out to the floor, so he looks to drag Taker out, but he gets kicked headfirst into the guardrail, followed by Undertaker coming off the top rope with a flying clothesline. I mean, great start. Mick Foley's head pops right into that steel. It is not the everyday WWF into the steel spot. It's even, you know, it's more brutal than a lot of the into the steel shot uh, spots we see in ECW constantly. They make their way down the entrance towards the grave, where Mankind hits the dead man with a shovel handle. Goes for a DDT, only for Taker to counter it into a small package that causes them to roll down the hill. And it looks great. All the spots <clears throat> off of the dirt are somehow impressive, because there really is a lot of dirt. They seem pretty high up. And they fight their way back to the ringside to use steps and microphone cords before heading into the crowd. Only for Undertaker to whip Foley over the railing back to ringside, following after with a jumping clothesline. And they head into the ring for the dead man to deliver old school. Only for Bearer to shake the ropes, causing Taker to crotch himself. Do dead men do dead men have nuts? I don't believe they are castrated after they die. <laughs> It's a good point. It's like, you know, he doesn't feel pain. It's like, well, you know, everyone's got a weakness. Paul then hands Mankind a pin to jab the Undertaker with until the dead man is able to take it away to return the favor, followed by a leaping clothesline and a leg drop. Taker then heads out to the floor to stalk after Bearer. So Foley grabs a chair to use, but the Undertaker turns in time, only for Paul to attack from behind with the urn, which doesn't phase him. But Mankind's able to use the distraction to use the chair over the head of the dead man, followed by a running knee against the steps. And they fight their way back to the grave, with Taker being knocked into the hole. And Foley starts to go for dirt, only for the Undertaker to just drag him into the hole as well. And they trade strikes, when Mankind would throw dirt in the dead man's eyes, and look to throw him back into the hole, only for Taker to block and reverse it into a hip toss of Foley, that sends him down the hill. I know, and it looks so good, but then they show a replay, and you can tell he kind of landed on the dirt, but like from the original angle, it looks like he splatted onto the concrete. I'm sure, I mean, it's still an impressive bump either way, but like, it really looked like death from that first angle, where it was just like, ugh. They return to the ring with Mankind taking control with a pulling pile driver. He makes a cover, but the ref reminds him there are no pins, so Foley starts pulling out his hair in frustration. Yeah, insert squeal. And the Undertaker begins to fire up with right hands, goes for an elbow drop, 
but Mankind moves, followed by Bear tossing a chair into the ring for Foley to nail a double-arm DDT onto the steel. But the dead man rises and uses the chair over Mankind's back, followed by leg-dropping it onto his head. Ah, uh, there's a beautiful cutaway straight to the Paul Bear's reaction. Foley crawls to the apron, with Taker looking to keep up the attack. But Mankind drops to the floor, pulling Undertaker's throat across the ropes. The stunner band slam. Foley then pulls up the mats, goes for another pile driver, but the dead man counters it into a fallaway back body drop into the steps. Putting his, you know, the back of his knee right across it. They make it back into the ring, where Taker has tossed the steps in, using them to clock Mankind multiple times. Undertaker then delivers a tombstone and carries Foley to the grave. But once they get there, Mankind rallies with the mandible claw and looks to use the urn over the head, only for the dead man to grab Mankind by the throat and chokeslam him into, into the grave. grave. And right now, like the crowd, obviously very hot. This has been going on for a while, and this one feels final. It's buried alive. But... There is some of the crowd that is behind mankind. Yes. That is cheering for mankind. And it's like, you know, if you do your job well enough, sometimes you don't have a choice. Taker grabs the shovel and begins to cover him with dirt for the win. Damn. I know. Does it so quickly. Post-match. The ref is telling the Undertaker that he won, but he just doesn't stop shoveling. When all of a sudden, a mysterious man in a black mask breaks a shovel over the dead man's back. And Paul yells at the mystery man to dig Foley out. So he pulls him out and then dumps Taker into the grave. The mystery man and Foley then start shoveling dirt onto the Undertaker. But it's taking too long. So others arrive to help, such as Triple H, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, Goldust... And Crush, who we haven't seen since Royal Rumble 95, episode 141. I know, I was like, is that is that Crush? Yeah, see, I heard them say his name before I actually saw him. I was yeah. like, where? And then there he was. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Big ups to the ref for taking that bump off the dirt. <laughs> we get lightning and thunder effects filling the arena, and but the fans are becoming impatient, so they start throwing trash. And Bearer gloats, saying that Taker is gone forever. But once they get him buried, Mankind sticks a shovel in the dirt, followed by lightning striking the gravestone. It's like they've never seen Friday the 13th, Part 6, where... That's <laughs> what it is. I know. Shovel, or no, I guess it's Pitchfork. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> Pitchforks are too sharp. Struck by lightning. All of a sudden, the Undertaker's gloved hand emerges from the grave, reaching blindly into the air. With Vince saying, he's alive! As we fade to black. And let me explain this to the listener that may have not watched the show. There is so much dirt. And like You have to cover them. And they are throwing dirt on these guys for like... I'm like, oh, what are they going to do for these last ten minutes? Is Are they going to throw in a package of highlights at the end? No. Nope. They're, they're like... Impaired. You can see them get it winded. These are guys that are fit... And they're getting winded, dumping dirt into this thing. So I was like, is the crowd throwing trash because this is taking too long? Yes. Or some of the trash thrown because uh, the Undertaker is in the pit. 
but it's probably because it's taking it's too probably long. a little bit of both. A little bit of both, but like it's taken too long, and it's like, I mean, what do you do? And the answer is, you you, you I mean, call those, up Kamatsu and get yourself a, tra- a tractor. <laughs> I mean, those other four guys weren't supposed to come out there, but like yeah. they realized that it was taking too long, so they were like. All you heal, who's heels? Who's heels? Yep. Okay, you, 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 get out there, go, go, go. It's like who is heels right now? We've had some heel versus heel matches. We can't have two guys that had a match tonight against each other. Yeah. Or go out there at the same time. This is also where the fans were screaming, chanting, whatever. Rest in yeah. peace. Rest in peace. So, in a sense, they could have been cheering for the Undertaker, but they could also have been cheering for mankind because. Undertaker was buried, so yeah. who knows? It was getting, and they, it was still hot even when the trash was flying, but even they were like, like, you can, when the only thing that's happening is dirt getting thrown for like three minutes, how can you keep uh, cheering? I do love how final this feels until the hand comes up. I almost, it's like, do I, I, do I wish the hand came up or no? Because, like, how do you have... You can't just, like, move a pile of dirt to another show and have them... It's like, well, then, you know... And then the fit, and then the hand come up out of the dirt. Like, you can't, you can't do it later. And it would be too corny in a, um, like, vignette. So it's like, well, do it here. But it does feel final to an extent for a second. Well, I will tell you this. Undertaker's look does change a little bit. Because he was buried alive, so he... Comes back as a slightly different character. Yeah, variation. Variation of him. The Mystery Man will become known as the Executioner. That's what I wrote down in my uh, notes. I was like, Executioner guy, because he's dressed like an Executioner. <laughs> That's funny. And it's our buddy, Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Okay. Okay. I was like, I was trying to get a look, and I was like, it doesn't look like Glenn Jacobs, but it could be Glenn Jacobs. And the executioner just doesn't get used, and Kane happens. Was a thought that I had, but I did know that Gordy has a small run, or a small—I don't know if you would call it a run, but a small appearance, a short appearance in the WWF coming up. Also, another fun note: this is the first time that the world champion has not wrestled on a WWF pay-per-view. Oh wow, it's crazy. May have been in a tag match at some point, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Champion has always wrestled on a pay per view. Yeah, like, there was no, there was no real reason for Sean to be here, and he had a banger at the last one. And this match is too big, and it's it's better than having Sean just like thrown into a match with somebody for no reason. Yeah, yep. It didn't need it, which is not something you can say all the time. It isn't in your house, so if you're not going to have the champion on the show in a match capacity. This is the one to do it. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Buried Alive? I enjoyed it. Yeah. It, uh, again, it was another one of those that was easy to watch. It was fun to watch. You know, it wasn't, nothing on there really is going to be shortlist worthy, but it's entertaining. It's entertaining. It, memorable. Yeah. It sets us up for... The next Survivor day. Series. Yeah. yeah. Survivor I mean, Series, and you know, it apparently leads into the Mr. Perfect turning heel again. It leads into Mark Merrow having his belt taken from him. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of fun stuff in there. Yeah, good show. Things build. The matches are all solid. 
uh, no Godwins because they've been kind kind of one of the lower points of in your house. So I know I crap on them a lot. I feel bad about it, but it is what it is. Stone Cold Steve Austin acting so like a badass gets a song. What? So do the pigs. <laughs> His name is Pig. <laughs> pig recognized Pig, but the yeah easy easy to watch. Sid has had a glow up, which mm-hmm. is nice. I my heart sunk legitimately sunk for him when he fumbled the promo because he's yeah. he's been so great recently like on the last handful of showings from him he's he feels like wrestling is finally clicking for him as opposed to just being a job or something he does because him and Lex Luger kind of have a similar thing where they're not really like wrestling guys but they're big and impressive looking and they can do the stuff aren't stupid aren't stupid guys they you know they they don't take to it quite like sting did but they're not ultimate warrior where like they just fucking don't understand it can't do it but they never really had quite the like glimmer in their eye sunk into a great character and uh sid is looking to looking like he's doing it right now so it's neat, and I felt real bad after that great showing that he was just like, ah, oh, you could see it in his face where he just wanted to be like, fuck. And he kind of did, and then he tried to get back into it. So yeah, I, we're, we're all right there. The first half of the show is all storyline, while the second half is hard-hitting action. Um, nothing sets the world on fire, but is- I had a great time watching this very consistent top-to-bottom show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this... Buried Alive match is good. It's really good. It's really fun. But it's not as exciting as Sean and Mankind was the month before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this might have a more satisfying ending to an extent, minus the fact that maybe they should have made that grave more shallow so they could fill the dirt up. I think that's where they learned in the future. Call we're going to have a tractor here yeah. next time, and we're just going to push. Yeah, we're going to call up Cat <laughs> or Komatsu or, uh, I don't know, I don't think John Deere makes tractors, do they? Yeah, probably. Yeah? I don't know, I don't know my Deere, tractor. John Deere makes everything. Yeah, I don't know my tractor companies. I guess I know three of them. That's pretty good. John Deere, that's all I ever know of them are tractors. Yeah, I think of ride-on mowers for some reason. Grass tractors. <laughs> Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. Smart, smart. So, what's some of the best moments of this show? Sometimes it's hard when a show is so soft. Yeah. To pick one. I don't have as much to bitch about. You have the the full on Stone Cold in action with the music, the middle I was fingers. Like breaking glass. Yeah. Breaking, I mean, breaking glass. You got the I, breaking I got glass, one. you got the music, you got the middle fingers. The only thing that's missing is a beer. Yep. It's our first uh, Austin, Austin Hunter, Hunter. Yeah. match. So they won't match up again, I think, until 98-ish. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Hunter's got some... Uh, Austin wins Some, some uh, debts to work off. Yeah. Funny that Sonny is gone, and it's one of the better gun matches in a while and it's also like the end of the guns yep 
Mark Marrow still doing a good job. I'm still a Mark Marrow fan. I know people shit on him. I sound like a broken record, but he's not a fucking bad wrestler. The wild thing on, on Gold Dust was nice. Yep. Psycho Sid Invader. So a little bit of slop in there, but for two big guys, they didn't they didn't do they did like eight, twelve minutes. It didn't go too long. And the subversion of them selling it as like the king of the power bomb or whatever, and then he wins with the uh, choke slam. Wonderful. Beautiful. I love it. That's the kind of booking I like to see. Something simple that adds a subversion. Probably assumed Sid would win, but he went with the choke slam. So you didn't see the pin coming, and I think that's a good... Because when you say it's going to be a powerbomb, just waiting for a powerbomb, waiting for a powerbomb. So when you win without a powerbomb, that three count hits. And it obviously worked, because people were into Sid. It's really, really smart. I don't know if clever is the right word, but as far as wrestling goes, pretty clever. I actually disagree with you, and I think that they outsmarted themselves. Because Vader actually has not used a powerbomb since he came to WWF. Mm-hmm. So, literally for them to make it about the powerbomb, and then all of a sudden just have Vader start using a powerbomb, just literally for this one match, and then no one to hit a powerbomb. Like, it didn't bother me in, yeah. the, in the end. Yeah. But it's, it's still like, I think they outsmarted themselves. Okay, well they didn't, that mean... I mean, totally valid you, criticism. Your your read into it is your read into it, yeah. like which you can be happy with. I'm just saying. That yeah, no, no, I totally understand where you're coming from because I don't. I think that Vader, me, like I didn't track that Vader hasn't done a power bomb in WWF, but I know in my head, of course, Vader can do a power bomb, so it doesn't feel it didn't. I I didn't think about it that deeply, uh, so it didn't bother me at all, but. I totally understand where you're coming from, and it does make sense. But I was kind of into it. I mean, like I said, I yeah. enjoyed the match. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they yeah, you can be too clever sometimes. How about most disappointing? Hmm. I mean, what I just said is actually probably your most disappointing. One of my most disappointing things, just because, like, like, like I said, there's nothing bad on this. There's show. nothing bad about it. It's yeah. just don't ever say the words "master of the power bomb," like. If one of them were to hit a powerbomb in the match, great. But, like, to call to say anything in the promo of Master of the Powerbomb and then not have one hit makes no sense. Yeah. I, I, like, it would have made the most sense is for Vader to actually hit the powerbomb and, and Sid, Sid to Sid kick did. out. Yeah. And then to hit the choke slam to win. That would make, that would put Sid over a bit way bigger, honestly. Yeah. That would make him a fucking monster. But then they'd have to be ready to... Put them in the title picture, which they are. So that would work. That would work uh, even better for Sid, honestly. But I got caught up in it. Well, I was watching it. So if it, if you get me, if if I'm watching wrestling and you pull me in and uh, yeah, I get excited, that's what I'm. So we're all chasing. We're all chasing the dragon. I'm trying to think, what is my disappointment? I wish that wish that grave hadn't been. So deep. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, it got to the point where it was kind of funny, but then you kind of felt bad for the guys. Yeah. But the production of like the lightning bolt into the, yeah, into the headstone great. looks insane. It looks great. Farouk. 
That's what I'm disappointed. Oh, the Ahmed Farouk thing. Yeah, it's Ahmed got hurt, and they just decided that this yeah. might be the last time we see him as the gladiator. Yeah, and Should I'm be. I'm fine with that, but just because the fact that because with him, yeah, actually, I think it is because with him being hurt, they repackaging when he comes back healthy. Because so, it was silly footsteps to the nation. But also that I didn't write it down because I couldn't find exactly that it was Sonny's last time. So she may still show up because obviously she's not in a match. So it's kind of hard to find exactly if they show up just randomly. Mm. But I know she ends up being moved to being like the host of Livewire. And so she kind of gets taken off the road. So mm. she may show up like in the backstage area of something, but for the Her most management. part, she kind of gets pushed side to the side, which is weird. I mean, it's a bummer, but supposedly everything went to her head pretty quickly. You can you, you can all look up plenty of things about Tammy. But there's stuff that happens. I'm gonna spoil. I'm gonna kind of give a teaser spoiler type thing that um, she may have gotten in trouble for showing up with her husband in different places. Yes. Yeah. So. Now the Farouk thing, I don't know if he actually got injured at this one. Yeah, he's, like they literally had Ahmed attack him because he was legit injured. Okay. And they couldn't have a match, and they so they wrote it in as a storyline, basically. Okay, that's where I was like, he hasn't really done anything since Ahmed got injured, so what the fuck is going on? Let, let him at least do something. I feel like kind of bad for Ahmed because he was getting over, and now he's been... I mean, injury sideline, but still, that, that plunger was it was moving. He looked good in there. A disappointment that was not something that I learned tonight through uh, recording the show, but was not disappointing while I watched the show, is finding out that Perfect's already gone, so they got me excited about Perfect. I was excited when his music came out. I was like, oh, is there a Mr. Perfect match on this show? And knowing that I'm not going to see him in a WWF ring is a bummer, because that's what they were selling. And, of so course, I was excited for that because it's fucking Kurt Henning. Like, don't, don't we all want that? Don't we all want to see Kurt Henning versus Stone Cold Steve Austin? Yes, I want to see Kurt Henning back in the ring. But if he's just... If all they're going to let him do in WWF is managed, then yeah. I'm all for him going elsewhere. I agree completely. But they were selling me him getting back in the million ring. million-dollar man him. For sure. Too young. Too handsome. Too athletic. Too perfect. Too perfect. <laughs> How about best performer of the night? Hey, that's a tough There's one. There's a lot I'll of say. options on this one. That's true. And if Sid had nailed his promo, he would have got it with a bullet. Yeah. Is it Mr. Perfect? Because I, I really be. enjoyed everything that Perfect did on this show. Yeah, he was great. Um, I mean, Jr. was great in his role. Yeah, it was. It was weird, see, but Jr. Was, was great. But like, I just wish. I mean, been don't a get more. me wrong. Like. After a while, the microphone thing cutting out got a little old. got a little old and got annoying. But I know that they were trying to tell the story, and thankfully, it just ran through what the first Couple. two three matches. Yeah. yeah, and there was variations of it. It wasn't the same gimmick consistently. Yeah, yeah. See, I honestly forgot about him turning heel around this time there. So as the microphone thing was going on, I was like, "What the hell is happening here?" And then I wasn't. Fully listening to what he was saying, but all I could think is, JR just sounds like he's bitching nonstop. What the fuck? And then once he got in the ring and said what he said, it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I get it, yeah. Because where we are. Yeah, it almost, like, they kind of got me for a second where I legitimately thought, 
for the first like 20 or 30 seconds that his mic was messed up and I was like oh no this is and he's shooting on him yeah I mean it, like yeah. all pissed off I mean once he started getting like really it's, I didn't it didn't I wasn't uh, I wasn't a mark for more than like 20 seconds but it did get me for a minute fucking man and then he said butt kisser and it's like no it's uh, fake mm, yeah <laughs> How about most surprising? I mean, I don't know if surprising is the right word, but we've been waiting for the glass to break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, never, I never knew what show would, it would be where, a, where it'd finally arrive at. Because yeah. um, some behind the scenes, I accidentally watched In Your House 11 first. So I was like, oh, the glass broke. And then I was like, oh, shit, I was supposed to watch In Your House 10. Went back, watched In Your House 10. He's coming out to the songs he's been coming out like it's it's not the million dollar theme it's but it's something you know more keyboardy organy like it's not as hard hitting and uh I was like, no, that's, oh. his, that's his music that's his full music okay now well no no i'm saying like i watched the shows accidentally out of oh, order okay, okay. so when i watched okay. 11 i was like oh the glass break so then when i went back and watched 10 gotcha. i was like okay did the glass break here or not so i made sure to track it so like i know for sure it's that one, and uh, he also comes out more fully formed. He has the the leather with the skull, and you know, he's doing it. Surprising. Is that what we're on? Yep. Okay. Uh, that we were gifted the real first Austin Hunter match just on a whim. Of he stepped in to take a, the spot of who the hell did he fill in for? Savio. Savio. Thanks, Rash. And yeah, that becomes the blueprint of the next six years or so for WWE and such a F. better like I don't hate Savio Vega but we need freshness yes when do. you see I mean we we saw technically that match twice between him and Stone Cold with the strap or whatever because they had power issues the one night and then they reworked yeah. it the next night and kind of did the same thing again so yeah it's good to it's good to have him with somebody else. And, and to see Austin, he was like, I don't want Austin in, like, in any gimmick matches. Not um, right now. I mean, it didn't happen on this show in particular, but it happened the next night. Triple H is finally not being punished anymore. Yes. He wins the IC belt, and oh, wow. they start putting the rocket on him. Yeah, he's, he's out of the hot pen, finally. I guess, I mean, DX isn't too far off. Yeah, we're well on our way. Yeah, we're less than a year away. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. So this week, the category is the numbers game. The numbers game. What I say. Oh, I like this one. Ooh, you're screwed, buddy. <laughs> I like the numbers. <laughs> so this week, for three points. I, it's going to be a number. It's okay. Price is Right rules. Okay. How many times has a champion came out first for a match? 93, 94. Sheesh. So this would be how many times did I say foreshadowing? Foreshadowing. Hmm. Damn. I put, I put in the number I immediately thought, and then you said foreshadowing, and I was like, shit. Okay, I got my number. I got to think. We've had recent ones where it's like, Shane Douglas, and then this next person, and then this next person, but that's 95, 96-ish. So. That's good. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Maybe my first number was better, but I'm sticking with the second one. We'll say... 
that. All right, let's see those answers. Michael goes with 13. Shane goes with 8. That was my first number that I was going to guess. <laughs> Damn. What is it, Matt? Michael with 3 points as oh. the answer was 16. Wow. So I got a bonus question for 2 points. Oh, my gosh. How many times out of those 16 matches did the champion win the match? Mm. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's see him. Are you ready? Michael with four. Shane with 12. It was Price is Right rules again, just so clear. The answer was seven. So Michael picks up another two points. So five altogether. Woo. Closing up that Close. scoring gap. Just Yeah, it went from like this to that. Now this, <laughs> this time around it hasn't been as huge of a blowout as it yeah. was the, the first trivia round. I mean, yeah. This stuff, uh, some of the, this, especially the WWF stuff, is just printed like, on your brain. You were, you were in it. You were there. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the stuff that's been in my head since I was like nine years old. Yeah. Now I'm watching stuff that I'm watching for the first time and having to remember shit. Yeah, for sure. Next week, high incident. Who was high and how high were they? Dibs. Uh, at least <laughs> a scaffolding high above mm, the ring. Yeah. Mm. Four tables high. Some high energy. I think it was only two tables. Well, it's probably three tables because they had the scaffolding above yeah, tables. Yeah. So, Do we have a ladder on top of those tables on top of the scaffolding? No, oh, thank God they don't. Yeah. The new Jack Bump, you've all seen it. Horrific. The music from this week's show is Carmina Fortuna, Imper- Imperatex Mundi, mm-hmm. O Fortuna, Jesus. by Carl Orff, arranged by Robert Shaw and the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra Chorus. And Undertaker won our main event. So we play his music, Graveyard Symphony Version 2 by Jim Johnston. It's a whole lot easier to say. Yeah, for real. I was like, that I, mean, other... I literally could have just said O Fortuna and most people would have known what I meant. But yeah, yeah. But it's just funny. I give the full title in exactly. this place. I mean, remember when it was just like, the music for In Your House is In Your House. By... <laughs> if I can't find a name, <laughs> I can't credit you. <laughs> If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. I hear people listen to shows on there. Hmm? Is that I hear people listen to podcasts on there? Yeah. Or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Take a photo of your five star rate and send it to the DM. Maybe we'll send you a mag- logo magnet. Looks like Nitro. Absolutely. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. No. Fuck my life. We're going back to Philly. If you, uh, if you're a fan of the show, you know that Philly is my, the bane of my existence, the bane of Shane. How about we maybe send out a challenge? You make have them send you like a cocktail recipe, and then like pick the wrestler that they send like make up a cocktail about. We've, we've done a blue meanie. What would be? Um, yeah, we've. You we've, know, what's the total you, elimination? The blue meanie team. We had a. I want to say we had a total elimination. Oh damn, we probably did. I want to say we did, or maybe we had one that's called the Eliminator or something like that. But yeah, just help me out. I I will give you a shout out on the show. I'll post the drink that, or whatever it is that you tell me to make, drink, food. I will tag you in it on our social media, all that stuff, so you can have the full credit for it and you can see what you made me make. But yeah, help, help. We're going to Philly. We're always in Philly. 
I need, need somebody. somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. I need someone. Yeah. Maybe a maybe a franchise. Help. <laughs> oh, nice. Let's I was looking up that earlier too oh, were you? to see if yeah. there's a drink called the franchise. I'm telling you, I'm. Yeah. I, mean, I'm I know. Trying I know. To, I'm I'm this close. You can't see because we don't have cameras on us. But mm. I'm just holding my fingers close together. Yeah, like three quarters of an inch. Um, I'm this close to just reaching out to all these different people on social media as far as Taz, Paul Heyman, whatnot, and just blowing up their social media or Twitter and just saying, help, give me something. What's your yeah. favorite drink? Because we're watching or we're watching these shows and I need some ideas because you decided to stay in Philadelphia all the fucking time. Is there time. a cocktail called the Whistle Stomp? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Good you know, question. if there is, don't tell them on mine. We got to save it. We need all the Philly ideas we can get. But you can send any of those ideas to our email at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. It's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters.